Welcome to Satsang. I, um, well, you know, when uh, Lila, where's the uh, timer here? Ah, there it is. <coughs> I put my timer on because I don't want to get too go overboard. Sometimes I get too intoxicated with Machaka Shakti. <laughs> and so I make sure I don't go too far. Um, but uh, Lila was talking about satsang. And, uh, you know, I had a difficult week. I, um, I uh, was rushed to the hospital last Sunday because I had some heart arrhythmia. Don't worry, I have gotten it from time to time, but uh, this one was persistent. Uh, sometimes I can stop certain varieties of it with meditation, but this time I needed medication. And uh, after a couple of days, it went away. And then some other things might have happened this week, you know. Uh, but when I walked into the hall here, I felt the buzz of satsang. I thought, what a blessing it is to have satsang. And um, I wanted to say, never, never give up the privilege and joy of satsang, no matter what happens. <clears throat> now, uh, you might not like the satsang you're in. You might find uh, things wanting there. But you know, when people come to me, they say, I want to change my job. Being a very practical nature, I always say, okay, you can change your job, but first find a new job. <clears throat> Otherwise, they're whirling in outer space in world of peculiar with no job. So the same thing in satsang, you know. I can see why you might not like this satsang. After all, I have many bad qualities, <laughs> many terrible qualities, and so on. So look for a better one. <laughs> there are many satsangs available, maybe not in Australia, but somewhere on this planet. Uh, but I don't think of this as my satsang anyway. It's Baba's satsang. Baba told me, hold satsang, hold intensive. It's Baba who told me that. And so what happens here is all of his grace. Uh, so, uh, and what happens in uh, the program here in satsang is satsang. And I feel like I have satsang with the great beings. To me, the great beings are the great resource of humanity, the great unknown resource. Well, you can't quite say unknown because all of Christianity knows about a, a great being named Jesus and all the Buddhists know about Buddha and so on, uh, but they don't know that there are great beings of all, of all stripes, of all religions. These are people who have attained the goal spiritually, and to hang out with them is to connect with the stream of divine grace, the vibration of divine grace, the light of divine grace, and there's nothing greater because without that, nothing, nothing exists. I thought, if I lost satsang, well, I'd wander off, and I'd be dry and miserable, and I would feel lousy, and I'd think something was wrong, and then I'd be seeing some other people having satsang, and I'd feel FOMO, <laughs> and I'd hate it, and then I'd want to destroy their satsang because I had FOMO. Why should they have satsang, and I don't have satsang? And that's how I would deal with that. And I thought, you know, if that was the way I was, 
I wouldn't like myself very much. <laughs> Aside from being miserable and without any shakti, I would hate myself. So I would try even harder to destroy anyone else's happiness in this world. So I thought, no, I better not go that route. I will not do that. <clears throat> I will stay in satsang. And if you want to join me in it, I'm very, very happy and blessed that you are. <clears throat> so Baba always began his satsang by saying in Hindi, and as Leela said, that means with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. And that's the space of satsang. It's the space of the heart. It's the space of love. It's the space of the recognition of divinity, of everyone's divinity. There's no one has a, a, a monopoly on divinity. If you can find your own divinity, you'll see that divinity everywhere. And if you deny your own divinity, you'll see ugliness everywhere. So it, satsang is a space where we welcome and acknowledge that space of divinity. And so in that spirit, I want to welcome you all tonight. And now, you know, it's now more than 50 years since I met Baba. This week, we went through that time, the day, the actual day of 50-year anniversary of meeting Baba. And I'm not 100% sure of the day. I tried to figure it out. It's between the 20th and the 23rd of February, as I could figure. I calculated and so on. Um, but uh, <clears throat> we've been reading, David Ma's been reading some of my letters to my parents. So uh, this letter is dated February 26, 1971. Today's the 27th, so it's yesterday, 50 years ago yesterday. And it has a very interesting little short paragraph in it, which I think you'll enjoy. So Davy Ma, would you read that? Dear, dear Pop and Mom, this is my first note in a long time. Much is going on. And I want to reestablish contact. Hari Das left. By the way, he is 50 years old. Not bad, eh? Yoga does it. Yoga does it. His body is like a teenager's, literally. For California on the 15th, and we entrained to Bodh Gaya. Wait, let me, let me explain. I realize there's no background here, if you never know what I'm talking about. Giridja uh, uh, <coughs> uh, and I were studying yoga with Haridas Baba 50 years ago. Um, and we were in the uh, in the Kankal Haridwar, in the foothills of the Himalayas, doing intense hatha yoga practice, postures, pranayama, clean cleansing exercises, study all this stuff. Um, and then he went to uh, America. He was invited to America to set up an ashram, and we drove him down to to uh, Delhi to fly out from from Haridwar. And then we went on to meet Ramdas, my first teacher, you could say, uh, who was there in Bodh Gaya. Now we're going to pick up the story. We met Ramdas and his band there, and after two days of meditation, we returned to Delhi with Ramdas and 22 young followers. We spent about three days on the trip to rent a bus to make stops in the Nazi 
It has been great being with Ramdas, although the character of the trip has changed. We don't get a chance to do much formal sadhana, yoga, while on the road, but all life is yoga, aside from meditation. Ramdas has been very nice to us. He remembers our one meeting with him, and we've become very friendly. In fact, I'm selling our VW to him, so we spend a lot of time together in Delhi taking care of legal red tape surrounding transfer of ownership. We've also been spending time around Swami Muktananda Paramahansa, who is one of the world's greatest men. I can't convey his power in a letter, so I won't try. That's my first mention about him. <laughs> one of the world's greatest men. <laughs> <laughs> After selling the bus, we will go to Bombay for a meditation course in a Buddhist method. Ramdas and his people took this course in Bodhgaya, and he thinks we should. It is, of course, a yoga, but different in some respects from Haridasa's yoga. We will do nothing but meditation there. 4.30 to 6.30 a.m., meditate. 6.30 to 8, breakfast. 8 to 11, meditate. 11 to 1, lunch. 1 to 4, meditate. 4 to 5, free time. Five to six, dinner. Six to nine, meditate. Heavy schedule. Also, reading and writing will be forbidden, so I won't write or receive mail during the 10-day course that starts March 1st. You can write, but we may be gone by the time your letter reaches Bombay. We'll probably return to the U.S. after the course. If we like it, we can stay another 10-day session and another, etc., Six in all. So we'll see. I'll write again after the first course with love. Of course, uh, Destiny had other things in mind. I never, uh, in the next letter, you'll see I'm saying to my parents, we're not coming back. We uh, decided to spend time with Baba. So, appropriately, tonight, the great being is Baba. <coughs> so these are some question answers uh, with Baba uh, from his touring a little later, a few years later. <coughs> question. Baba, how can I attain the self? That's a basic question. Girish, anytime you pull it up, just signal me and we'll look at it. Okay. Baba. Yanishwa describes meditation in this way. One fuels the furnace of self-inquiry by hearing about the self, contemplating the self, and thinking only of the self. One burns up the impurities of the non-self in the fire of knowledge and thus purifies the self. 
In reality, of course, the self is eternally pure. It doesn't have to be purified. However, by burning the impurities and karmas created by the duality of the 36 tattvas, one extracts the gold of the self through the knowledge of the truth. He's saying that by living our life, the complexity of life, karmic life, physical life, uh, emotional, physical, intellectual life, all of this, we create a lot of different emotions and, and kind of uh, obscurations. And by burning them up through knowledge and meditation, we attain the self. This is what Bob is saying. And he said, by contemplating the self, thinking about the self, hearing about the self, he's following classic uh, Vedantic prescription. They talk about, in, in the, the, the uh, discipline of Vedanta, they talk about shravana, manana, and nididhyasana. And these are, first is shravan, shravana to hear the truth. You go to satsang and the guru speaks the truth in the form, you are the self. The self is within you. Tatwa masi, ahambra masmi, something, something like that. You hear the truth. But then that's not enough. Hearing the truth is not enough. Then you have to do manana, which is to think about it. This is where you're not just a passive receptor of the truth. You have to really think about, what does that mean? I am the self. Well, that's me. I'm me. I know who I am. What does this mean, I am the self? And you think about it, and you think about it, and you think about it until somehow you have some grasp of what it means. But that's not enough either, because that's only on the intellectual plane. Then there's nididhyasana, where you merge in that teaching, you meditate on that teaching. You actually try to experience that. You take the idea, I am the self, and you bring it inside yourself. You make it actual in your own life. So every one of us has to walk this path ourselves. Every one of us has to learn about the self for ourselves. Every one of us has to overcome our own bad qualities, our own insufficiencies, our own delusions, and then come to the light. And the light is available. It's available equally to every one of us. Uh, it's we ourselves who turn away from the light. It's all too easy to tell yourself a bill of goods where you turn away from the light. But through satsang, and contemplating the teachings and meditating on the teachings, we come to the light. Baba says, Sri Krishna told Arjuna that some seekers see the self in the self through knowledge of the self. Others see the self through the path of devotion. <clears throat> so some people think about it and intellectualize and then they attain the self. Others are people of the heart, and they love. They love the deity, they love the guru, they love God. And then they attain the self through that path. He says, others through the contemplation of Samkhya and Vedanta. Samkhya and Vedanta are disciplines, yogic disciplines. Vedanta is the idea that all this is unreal, only the self is real. It's a path of uh, renunciation and dispassion. And Samkhya is a path of purification that says, I want to separate my spirit from the outer world, from matter, and find my pure 
spirit, my pure self, and to work on that. So these are two other paths. <clears throat> or through karma yoga. This is for others who want to just serve. That's also a path. That's an equally good path. It's the path of the Bhagavad Gita, to serve humanity, to serve the guru, to serve God, to serve humanity. It's a great path. Some people are just born to serve. And if they serve the highest, they can attain the goal. He says, through karma yoga, perform selflessly with an attitude of service. And Baba says, service is a sublime form of meditation, knowledge, and yoga, and one should understand its mystery. In some ways, my whole life I've been a karma yogi. I've been serving my guru and serving the people. And I think it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful path because a karma yogi just serves, doesn't think, what will I attain? What will I get? Because when you think like that, ego comes into it. But if you just serve, you do your work, you serve, you help others attain the self, uh, it's a great thing. <clears throat> Baba says, Lord Krishna said that in this way people attain God by different means and were saved from drowning in the ocean of worldliness. They always say in all the scriptures, they always talk about the ocean of worldliness. And uh, to drown in the ocean of worldliness, uh, that's a metaphor, metaphoric kind of utterance, but we know what it means. It means to suffer, to live in confusion, depletion, want, misery, tearing thoughts. We know what that state is. That's the ocean of samsara. <clears throat> it's the... Uh, uh, what do I call it? The lagoon of no shakti. <coughs> What's that? Yo! There he is. He delivers the mail. Okay. <laughs> this is in uh, my memoir, this picture. But uh, this, uh, this is the 22 of us. You notice the uh, high couture <laughs> of the time. <clears throat> so um, there we are. Ramdas is the bearded gent in the front. Uh, he was the leader. Uh, and um, Shankar, who was then known as Rajendra, uh, is the bearded dude in the middle of the back. Can you see him? And uh, Girija is next to Ramdas, but, you know, she looks exactly the same as she always looked. And then uh, there's several other people. Oh, Krishnadas is there. He's the tallest one. Is that him? On the right, looking like Jesus. That's Krishnadas. <coughs> so there you go. What? What did you say? Yes! Of course. Oh, is that beautiful? It's even signed. Do you see that? This is... Huh? This one, uh, uh, Swami Ramananda, uh, my old friend, sent me this. So he got it signed by Baba. He, he took it. Yeah. That's from Ganeshpuri. What's the next one? 
Oh, that's Bob on tour. I think that must be Oakland, huh? Yeah. Oakland, the courtyard in Oakland. In a pensive mood, we would say, right? Next. Oh, and this is a satsang in the West. I'm not sure it could be Oakland ashram. I don't know. Beams or Oakland, I think. What's it? Beams, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there's Baba with the big satsang with, with uh, Gumai Malti translating. It's a wedding. It is, that's right. It's a wedding. Yep. And, well, you know, could it be uh, Melbourne? I'd have to study the people there, but could, no, no, I don't think we have beams in Melbourne. No, it's not. Uh, so it must be Oakland, uh, and one of those big multiple weddings of Baba's. So, okay, that it. Thanks. <coughs> Next question, Baba, what's the significance? of intense craving for the guru. Is there any danger in this? Does it ever leave? <laughs> Baba says, intense craving for the guru is very significant. If you have this desire, the guru's shakti will enter into you and begin to work within you, and it will do great work. So if you have that attitude of love and devotion, it will draw the shakti. <clears throat> Any work is completed only through intense craving. <laughs> On the spiritual path, you should have intense craving for God, for the attainment of God. You know, famously, uh, uh, Sri Ramakrishna said, uh, you should want God with the same feeling that you'd want air if you were stuck, if somebody stuck your head underwater. That's very interesting to think about. You know how much you want air? So you should want God that much. <clears throat> you should say, I'm going to attain God. I'm going to attain the spiritual path. I'm going to meditate to attain him. So intense craving for the guru is very good. So let's say that. I'm going to attain God. Who? Me? Not me. I'm going to attain God. I'm going to... Meditate to attain God. You don't like the word God? What word do you want? Huh? You like it? God's all right? God, Jesus is just all right with me? Yeah. So to attain your highest truth, your highest self, to attain the self, you can do it. You have to set your mind to it. The Bible says it's only your doubt that is very dangerous. Nothing else. First of all, remove the doubt, and then everything will be fine. Doubt is always described in scripture as the great enemy of clarity and of going forward on the path. <coughs> How are we doing? Okay, here's one from, this is not from the tour. Well, in a sense, it's a tour because uh, it's from the book that I did of Baba's collection of of uh, aphorisms on Kashmir Shaivism called Siddha Meditation. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's since been republished 
with no acknowledgement of its provenance uh, as some other title. However, the original was Siddha Meditation. I got Baba's permission to do it and I put it together. And this is one of them. Uh, a very curious aphorism from Shiva Sutras, Jnanam Anam, knowledge is food. It means you've got to go eat your way to God. <laughs> In a certain way, it's true. <laughs> Baba said, food is the very life of the embodied soul. By food, the body rises. By food, it is sustained. Into food, it merges in the end. When you go back to the earth, you become food. The earth is rich with food. You fertilize the earth with just food. There's one scripture, one of the Upanishads says, we're just food. That's all we are, food. We eat while we're in the body. We eat, and then later we other people eat us. And that's it. Uh, the food that is nourishing to a yogi and brings him satisf satisfaction and bliss is the awareness of his own nature, contented rest in his own self, Atman. So now it's a metaphor. So food is a metaphor. <clears throat> Gurdjieff also used to talk about it. He said there, that there are different kinds of food that you have. Uh, there's obviously physical food that you need to sustain the body, but also impressions of food. The kind of impressions that you take in through your senses is food. Some of those impressions uplift you and some don't. And I would say that thought is food also. And some thoughts that you think sustain you and nourish you, and some thought that you think depletes you. You can have millions of thoughts and you'll be starving because there's no joy in those thoughts. So it's a metaphor, but food is on all these levels. He said, in, in the second sutra, knowledge was said to be bondage. Dhyanam bandha, knowledge is bondage. That was outer knowledge, implying forgetfulness of one's own nature, ignorance of inner realities, the ego sense, the sense of I and mine. The other kind of knowledge, that's mundane knowledge, is that of unity arising by the grace of the guru. This knowledge transcends the imaginary distinctions of logic, matter, and consciousness. One soul and many souls, the individual and the universal, the atom and the cosmos, liberation and bondage, all these dualities, it's beyond all that. The one and the many, it's beyond that. This knowledge takes one beyond the reach of death, time, and limitation to the supreme self, and supreme contentment. What would that be like, supreme contentment? I just love to say that. Baba gave me a great teaching on contentment, so every time I hear that word, I get a buzz. Supreme contentment. Imagine if you had supreme contentment every moment of your life. Well, you wouldn't be you, would you? You'd be somebody else. But it's possible, it's that, that place that clear space is within us. Knowledge then, Baba says, is food in the sense that it gives perfect satisfaction and perfect rest. So the right kind of knowledge gives satisfaction. You say, ah, oh, that was delicious. My life is delicious. 
The state of enlightenment devours the illusory differences which previously obsessed the yogi. Concepts of death and life, matter and consciousness, creator and creature, body and soul, man and woman, the householder and the renunciant. Ignorance, too, is the food of a yogi. After the blessing by the guru, true knowledge springs from within. The yogi eats up both the merely conceptual knowledge, which obstructs centering in the self, and the ignorance which hides his own spirit from him. He is immersed in perfect inner contentment. So here the metaphor is digestion. Alamgrasa, hatapaka. Alamgrasa is a, a method of digesting your experience. See, we have all these experiences in life. Do we digest them well? Sometimes the experience jars us, so it remains inside of us, and then it haunts us, and it haunts our dreams, and we think about it, and we haven't digested it. But if we can digest that experience, it doesn't haunt us anymore, and we feel peace, and we can digest it through right understanding. <clears throat> Where are we going? I'm talking too much tonight, see? Satsang has made me feel too happy. Unseemly, no? <laughs> All right. So here's one uh, from uh, the ending of a, of a course in Ganeshpuri. I think I mentioned last time that there were teacher training courses that were held around Baba for center leaders and so on. And he would always come and, and uh, open the course, and then he would come at the end of the course. So one time at the end of the course, in 1976, uh, <clears throat> in Ganeshpuri, he came, instead of giving a talk, he quizzed all the graduates. They'd all taken the teacher training, and they were going to be central leaders. So you ready? How would you do it? Baba says, OK, who can give strong Shaktipat? Who can transmit the Shakti very powerfully? <laughs> Answer. One who remains completely one-pointed on the guru and immersed in him. Another answer. One who sees only purity in other people. Another answer. One who follows exactly the teachings of the guru. One who does japa, mantra repetition, and has devotion to the guru. Another one. One who has great love for the guru and faith in the guru. They're all trying to get his approval. One who's attained the Udvareta state and is always absorbed in love for the guru. One whose energy is flowing upwards. And Baba says, all of these are good answers. <laughs> one who's attained perfection after doing sadhana practice. One who's assimilated the shakti completely into himself. One who has made the shakti pervade every pore of his body can give strong shakti pot. So the shakti is subtle spiritual energy. The shakti is what we feel in satsang. We come to the ashram. When we meditate properly, the shakti. So to become totally absorbed in the shakti means that we don't do things that take the shakti away. There are a million different ways that you can lose shakti. Of course, it's a subtle energy and easily 
lost. So we have to learn the art of increasing the Shakti and holding the Shakti. And as we do, we grow in bliss and joy, and we have the ability to give this, transmit this Shakti to others. Baba says, even after doing all these things, one who doesn't give up his devotion to the Guru, one who always remains aware that everything happens due to the grace of the Guru, can give the most powerful Shaktipat. <clears throat> Question somebody asked. No, Baba said, no, Baba's question. Can you tell me why a person who's been with the guru for a long time might fall and lose his attainment? Answer. These are the answers of the class. When he has ego inside himself. <laughs> Another answer. When he forgets that he's a disciple of the guru. One must never forget that he's a disciple of the guru. Baba says it's a very good answer. <laughs> Another one, a person is lost unless the guru is served with love. Even a guru would be lost if he forgot that all is attained through the grace of his guru. Baba says, perfect. <laughs> Another one says, when one misses, misuses his attainments for worldly ends without surrendering to the guru. Baba says, very good. Another one says, when he, when he stops following his own sadhana, he stops doing the practice stops meditating, stops contemplating. Baba says, that's very good. When one does tapasya for a while, one does spiritual practices for a while, when one has devotion to the guru for a while, he attains shakti. He comes in touch with this higher power. At the same time, his old understanding goes away. And he begins to think, well, I have shakti in myself. Why do I need the guru's shakti? Can I do everything with my shakti? So he gets a little bit uh, inflated. And that's the problem here. This kind of ego arises in him, and then he begins to praise himself. He increases his pride, and he increases his abhinivesha, his ignorance, his identification with something that is not his own self. He identifies with being a big shot. <clears throat> Then he forgets the sadhana they had been doing, the practice, and he falls in such a way that he never rises again. Terrible, huh? It's not that bad. Even the worst fall, since, since the name of the game is that everybody gets to the goal, it has to be because consciousness is one and everyone has to attain consciousness. So even any fall you have, Terrible fall will eventually be repaired. Of course, it may be a thousand lifetimes from now, or at least three or four. <laughs> okay, one more. Are you still in the mood? What? That, that's too. That's too. That's too depressing. Uh, do you want to hear about uh, the essence of meditation? And, or self-realization and destiny and effort. Number two? I knew you would say that. All right, here it goes. Question. Is one's self-realization predestined? 
That's a very cute question. Baba says, destiny is made by one's endeavor, by one's own actions. So we make our own destiny. What we do now, the kind of effort that we put in now, will determine our future destiny. Therefore, effort is more important than destiny for self-realization. This is vintage Baba. So forget about destiny. Do effort. Forget about it. You don't know what your karma is. You don't know how far from the goal or close to the goal you are. Do the practice. Practice. And don't worry about it. <clears throat> Baba says, there was a great saint in our country called Daranov. Sounds like a Russian. Daranov. Commissar Daranov. <clears throat> His life story is most amazing and miraculous. He was afflicted with leprosy. Still, he would chant in ecstasy. Pretty good trick. Uh, Dharanov's guru, Eknat Maharaj, was a very great saint. Eknat Maharaj is one of the poet saints of Maharashtra, a very great poet. The Lord commanded Eknat Maharaj to ask his disciple to compose a commentary on the Bhagavatam. And the Bhagavatam is one of the great scriptures, Krishna's scripture, Srimad Bhagavatam. <coughs> So Eknath said to Dharanav, Dharanav, what keeps you busy? Dharanav said, I chant. I keep chanting Hare Ram. Eknath said, why don't you write a commentary on the Bhagavatam? Dharanav said, I will certainly do your bidding. I will write it. Good disciple. In a vision, Dharanav came to know that the command was from the Lord himself. The Lord appeared to him and said, Write this great work, and your leprosy will disappear. Darnoff replied, my leprosy doesn't bother me. After all, everybody is diseased, <laughs> though maybe I'm a little more diseased than most. But I'm quite happy with, with this disease because nobody bothers me. Nobody comes around the leper. <clears throat> so I wouldn't want to compose something in order to overcome it. However, for inner peace and inner joy, I will certainly compose this work. It's a great attitude. I'm not going to do it for a low end, like curing myself, but only for joy. By the time he finished the commentary, his body had become completely pure and healthy. The leprosy had disappeared. Dharanov says that wealth and pleasures are determined by your past merit, but as far as remembrance of God is concerned, you're completely free to do that every moment. And you must make a very strong and earnest effort to keep your mind engaged with God all the time. Self-realization comes through strong effort. Muktananda always emphasizes strong effort. Really work at it. Um, but that's a very interesting statement that Dharanov said there. That your wealth and your pleasures and so on, the worldly things, are determined by past karma that's beyond our understanding. Why is some born into a wealthy family and some born into a poor family? Why are some fabulously rich, others very poor? It's some karmic reasons. But to remember God, every person is free. To remember the self, to remember the truth, everyone is free to do it. So make a strong effort to do that, Baba says. So let's make a strong effort to meditate for 10 minutes. 
And I know it's a long time and effort will flag after three minutes, but we'll meditate together. And the goal of meditation is our own self. And as I said, the sages say that this self exists in everyone in its perfection. I like to call it the clear space of good feeling, a place of great clarity and luminosity, and also a place of love, a place of peace, a place of joy within. And even if you're tormented by depression and anxiety, that still, that clear space of good feeling does exist within you. If you can quiet your mind, you will enter that clear space of good feeling. So a very good tool for that is the mantra. Repeat the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, and repeat it, and repeat it, and let the mind quiet down. And in that stillness, you'll enter that clear space of good feeling, which we call the self. So let's meditate together for 10 minutes. And once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Hi, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not check out Swamiji's latest book, Ganesh Pri Days, Memoirs of a Western Yogi. It's about the time he spent in India with his guru, Baba Muktananda, in the 1970s, and it's a great read. To get a copy, go to GaneshPriDays.com. That's G-A-N-E-S-H-P-U-R-I days.com. Wherever you are in the world, you can get the book on Kindle or printed in your own country.